it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the full episode of the TSL podcast. We are finally on iTunes, so that's always definitely a good thing. I'm here with Will Stewart and Chris Coleman here in the studio trying to give you guys a breakdown of what we saw versus East Carolina and then obviously previewing the Old Dominion game. We'll also talk about a few other things, but we are back and better than ever. Uh, Will, how you doing today, man? I'm doing fine. I mowed the lawn this morning. 52-year-old guy, and I can still push <laughs> mow my lawn. Well, I mean, uh, without stopping, so I still got it. That's not really a great accomplishment now, is it? Come on. Mm, well, it's the highlight of my day so far. <laughs> Chris, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing well. Did you mow a lawn today? I did not. My <laughs> HOA takes care of that for me. Yeah, he's smart. I got three lawns to mow. He's got none. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you need to kind of delegate a little bit of that out. Let's go ahead and dive right into things. Obviously, East Carolina's uh, the, the football game last weekend, that was definitely an interesting game. Uh, maybe not the way exactly Tech wanted it to play out, but overall on the scoreboard it looked probably exactly how they wanted it. Um, just, Chris, how surprised were you at that kind of slow start against the Pirates? Uh, I guess maybe a little, but East Carolina has always given Virginia Tech trouble down there. You know that, that this was a game they were going to circle on their calendars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I wasn't too terribly surprised. You know, in hindsight, and I – in hindsight, you know, we were all pretty conservative with our picks. Now, we all sat here and said, East Carolina's terrible. But yet we also said, <laughs> yes, we were also sitting here talking about, well, will Virginia Tech cover? Well, it, yes, we all should have <laughs> said, yes, they're definitely going to cover. I mean, if East Carolina is truly as bad as we all said they were, and they are, then why weren't we just picking Virginia Tech to win this game by like a complete blowout style. You know, it, it was really interesting because I was sitting there in the box after it had got to the point where it was really ugly. And and I remember that conversation about how we were talking about how just how bad statistically ECU is. Mm-hmm. Yet I still didn't feel like Tech would, would sit there and, and, and drop 60-plus on them. And sure enough, that's exactly what they did. Will, you know the stat. Uh, what is it, their last seven games? How many points are they giving up per game? East Carolina? 50, I think. Over yeah, 50. Over yeah. 50. It's 356. Six points, I think. I think was games. it Navy who dropped sixty six on them last year? They had a three game stretch last year where they gave up forty five, fifty five, and sixty six to end the season. Yeah, there was one more game after okay, that. Okay, one more game in there, and then this year so far they get up thirty four to JMU, but over six hundred yards in the process. Then they gave up fifty six to West Virginia and over six hundred yards, and now sixty four to Virginia Tech and you know almost seven hundred yards. Uh, it's just they're they're a horrible team. I mean. You know, when they play UConn later this year, I mean, whichever team wins that game, that's the other team probably won't win. And we'll we'll remind our listeners that ECU, even though they haven't won a game in what seems like forever, the one game they did win last year was 41 to 3 over UConn. And I watched a good portion of Virginia's game against UConn. And UConn is not a good team. They're, they're well, and to be fair, Bankert, UVA's quarterback was he was on. He was putting putting the money, putting the ball in the money. But still, 
UConn and ECU is the, that that's just a, that's a pillow fight to find out who gets to sleep on the floor or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just bad. Well, be honest with me. After that first quarter start, and I know on Twitter you seem like you were a little antsy. <laughs> I was a little hyper. <laughs> uh, how how worried were you after the seventeen to seven start? Be honest. I, I I never get worried over what happens in the first quarter because we've seen too much. But two hundred yards given up to two hundred and four yards. Yeah, that's you know you start doing the math. That's eight hundred yards for a game. You know they're not going to keep it up that way, but. Uh, I, I don't get too worked up over what happens in one quarter. I start to get really worried if it if it goes into halftime looking like that. And, you know. Obviously, it, it didn't. Yeah, it did not tech slam the door after that first quarter. Were you surprised how quickly the door should? I mean, they, they scored 77 yards after the first quarter, and obviously tech scored 57 unanswered. Were you kind of surprised by how ugly it got? I, w- I was surprised at how complete it was, yeah. I mean, the, the ECU team that was there in the first quarter was just, just disappeared. completely different from the one. Yeah. That's – when I look at them, they don't they don't look like a horrible team. They play like one. Uh, probably the, the worst football team I've ever seen in person was uh, – I think it was 2004 when Tech played Florida A&M. And Florida A&M actually won three games that year. But they came in the Lane Stadium and and they looked like a high. I thought they looked like a high school team. I was you on know? the field for that game. <laughs> they were. And small. I, I, I played against guys in high school that, that were bigger than some of the Florida A and M players. Yeah, they they yeah. were atrocious, and I I can't remember how many points Tech put on them. I think it was 60, 62 to nothing, nothing or something like that. Something like that, and that was with. I believe Sean Glennon in garbage time overthrowing a wide open uh, uh, Justin Harper. Or and I want to like say Brian Randall had like a long touchdown run right up the middle. They got called back for holding or something like that. And so that that's that's the one football team I remember looking at him in person and thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to get steamrolled. And you don't see that looking at East Carolina, but it's you know it, it, it's an indictment of the coach. The phrase I always use is is this team. Do they play like more than the sum of their parts or less than the sum of their parts? And if your team is playing way less than the sum of its parts like East Carolina is, that's that's an indicator of really bad coaching. Bud Foster had a, a very telling quote, I thought, on Tuesday when uh, he, he was asked about ECU's uh, kind of skill players at the running back and wide receiver positions. And he thought, excuse me, for ODU, and, and, and he thought that ODU's guys kind of reminded him of East Carolina prior to this season yeah and, he, and he, he was real quick to, and, and, to point out and, and i'm not I, talking about this year i'm talking about i thought that know. was really really telling is the fact that ecu just kind of doesn't really have it this year i mean it and it and it definitely showed on the field uh chris how important was it to finally get the backups some really extended playing time i know that you wanted to see this against delaware and obviously it didn't happen but against ecu they were able to get a ton of backups in yeah i think that's important and if you look back on the 2012 through 2015 seasons and you know even when virginia tech won games in those years they rarely blew anybody out and yeah they just they couldn't develop any depth so you know you saw a guy like J- jared hewitt who did not play well against west virginia well he made some plays against uh east carolina khalil ladler yeah, khalil ladler made some plays uh you know, it's not only does it help build a little bit of depth, get get those guys some on field experience, but it saves some wear and tear on your starters. You, you know, uh, Ricky Walker can't hit get hurt if he's sitting on the bench in the fourth quarter. At least you would hope not. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. <laughs> you Step up not. a curb and break a fifth metatarsal. <laughs> the the Braves actually had a guy running out onto the field from the dugout right before a game this year 
tr- like trip over the edge of the dugout and hurt his ankle and got oh, put on the disabled list. God. Before the game even started, he was running on the field <laughs> to take the field. How long was he on the DL for? A good couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So all those backups getting to play also helps us as writers because now there's there's you know we don't get to see these teams the these backup scrimmage anymore. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Chris is we've we've talked in the office about Chris is like I don't know what the young guys can do because I don't get to see them in scrimmages anymore. So it's nice as writers to get to see them on the field a little bit. Definitely. Let's go ahead and move on from the East Carolina game. Let's let's put a bow on that. Uh, but before we dive into the old Dominion stuff, I did want to talk about the scheduling announcement of uh, several weeks ago that Virginia Tech announced with Old Dominion, uh, VMI, and Liberty, and also the two games with BYU. But I want to focus on the on the games with Liberty and Old Dominion. There was a lot of, uh, I guess, um, maybe displeasure among the fan base and, and, how the, and how that was done, and maybe they thought that that was a little beneath Virginia Tech. But I know, Chris, you have you have a really good opinion on this. Is is that scheduling of the ED, uh, excuse me the ODU and Liberty series is that beneficial for Tech in the long term? Yeah, it's beneficial from a financial standpoint. Georgia just paid Kent State one point nine million dollars for 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 a game for a home game. One point nine large. And Virginia Tech probably makes like two point five million from one home game. So to get a team like Kent State, who's really, really, really bad in Lane Stadium, it would cost about $2 million. We've basically given them almost the entire gate from the game. Uh, and and that, that's no way. And these days, Virginia Tech ran in the red last year. You know, so that's not economically feasible. And, you know, so you, you sign in-state schools like that that want to play Virginia Tech, you can get them a lot cheaper. Far obviously. below market yeah, value. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, I mean, if Old Dominion was to play – a home game at I don't know at South Carolina. Maybe they they end up paying yeah sure you know one point two million or they get one point two million dollars instead of what's the I'm not even sure exactly what it is. It's uh, not very much. No, it isn't, and it, it also helped by the fact that Tech will will make those trips to to Norfolk and Lynchburg. Will is that a problem for you that that Virginia Tech has so many trips to Liberty and Old Dominion schedules, especially with Old Dominion Stadium being extremely small. If you think about Old Dominion and Liberty in uh, in a vacuum and don't think about anything else, it, it can it can bug you, um, particularly when you consider that Old Dominion and ECU will overlap for four straight seasons. Tech will play both of them. Yeah, with I think with a little bit of Liberty sprinkled in there. Tech will play ODU for ten consecutive seasons from twenty twenty two until twenty thirty one. And, and now, now the now the the early part of that was already scheduled before this deal was announced. Yeah, and, and ECU doesn't cycle off till twenty twenty five. So from twenty twenty two to twenty twenty five, you're playing both of them, and they alternate. You'll play one at home and one on the road. Um, but when you step back, and we've got a future schedules page on TSL, go look at it. It's Very the, useful. It's on the menu, and I'm sitting here looking at it on my phone right now. It's it's under football future VT football schedules. If you look at the overall schedule, there's uh, good out-of-conference games almost every single year. And in some years, there are two of them, Mm -hmm. and that actually has to be fixed where – what do we see, Chris? They're playing. Uh, they're playing Michigan and Penn State back to back weeks. One yes, in twenty twenty, which is pretty scheduled, tough. They're scheduled to open with Liberty at home, then play Penn State at home, and then go to Michigan. That's and, a hell of a two game trip, right and there. I don't, I don't see that happening. the The twenty nineteen schedule is similarly horrible, so maybe some 2019, 2020 stuff can happen. But um, if you look, there are good out of conference games in the future. 
you know, not not to take the discussion onto a tangent, but one of the biggest problems Virginia Tech has got is that their annual opponents in the ACC aren't that exciting. Uh, Duke, Boston College, Virginia put 33,000 in their stadium the other day. You know, so it's it's kind of I'm, – I'm getting off topic a little bit, but uh, to get back to the point we're making – um, Virginia Tech has limited resources. They have to figure out, you know, uh, and I'm talking financially, they got to figure out where you're going to put your money. So are you going to put your money into buy games where you're paying a million or a million five for somebody to come in? Or are you going to put your money into uh, coaching salaries? When are people going to come start looking for Justin Fuente? And I know he likes it here, but you can't be paying him three million while other schools are paying six and seven million. You know, anytime someone comes to double your salary, you have to listen. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so if if you look at it, I don't remember the exact details. I may be mixing up Liberty and Old Dominion, but one of them gets paid five hundred thousand to come here, and when Tech goes there, Tech gets paid two hundred fifty thousand. So you're you're really you're getting a couple of games, including a home game for. You're basically to play, paying two hundred fifty thousand for it. You know, it's it's financially it makes great sense, and like I said, you can focus your money in areas that really matter more, like facilities and coaching salaries. I'd also like to point out that Virginia Tech is basically going to stop playing one double one double A teams, FCS yeah. teams, yeah. and that's they something... do have one game scheduled against VMI, I believe, right. in twenty twenty six. There's a couple spread out, yeah. but, but in general, Virginia Tech plays one every single year, just like most teams do. So, in effect, Virginia Tech is now having home and homes with, with the Wisconsin's and Michigan's and Penn State's and West Virginia's of the world, which is outstanding. And they're really, you know, instead of playing Richmond at home or JMU at home or Delaware at home, you know, now, now they're going to be playing Old Dominion and Liberty and, and, and teams Not, like not that. every game can be a thrilling marquee match. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, sure. it's not going to happen. And the, the fact of the matter is our non-conference schedule is going to be a lot better now. We're not going to have one double-A teams on the schedule we'll for the most part. We'll have to play Furman. So, yeah, I mean, I understand that fans don't like playing that many games. But I, I think from Virginia Tech's limited financial resources right now that there aren't a whole lot of options there. Uh, and when it comes down to it, you're talking about one game a season, except for that one four-game stretch. That's just filler. And it's a lot harder to schedule these days. I mean, it used to be an 11-game season. Virginia Tech was in the Big East. UVA was was in the ACC. And so, that was already uh, that, scheduled. I mean, you, yeah. that was already scheduled every single year. So you only had to schedule three non-conference games per year because there were seven Big East games, then UVA, and then three more games. Well, now, you know, UVA's in the ACC, so you've got to schedule – you got to schedule four non-conference games every year, so it makes it a lot harder. And by scheduling, by getting a scheduling partner like this, like an East Carolina or an Old Dominion, well, now you're back to only have to having to schedule three. Do you guys have a problem with the fact that they did similar deals with ODU and Liberty almost at the same time, so that so that instead of having one quote unquote East Carolina on your schedule, you now have two almost. Hmm. Um. I don't. I haven't really. I got to admit, I haven't really given that one much thought. Okay. You know, um, I think the concept of playing four at home against Liberty and going there twice. Um, I think some people are struggling to make sense out of that, and and it is hard because uh, you can make the argument that playing ODU at ODU gets you exposure in the seven five seven, which is a fertile recruiting ground. Well, Lynchburg is not. So yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, without actually sitting down and looking at the future schedules, um, 
you know, I, I don't know, maybe wound up needing to fill six spots, four of which were at home, two on the road, and it's that simple. Um, they talk a lot about working with the in-state schools and stuff like that. I think that's just stuff that they say. You know, yeah. again, the Liberty thing could be a money thing. I mean, I mean, personally, I think that this is all kind of a money thing. Chris, as you mentioned, and Will, as you mentioned as well, the the financial resources just aren't there right now. And until Tech gets to that point where – they're, you know, have a little bit more sustained cash flow in terms of donations. Mm-hmm. These kinds of decisions are going to have to be made, and, and you, these prices are going to continue to go up. Oh yeah, they're but, they're uh, not they're uh, not stemming they're, at all. They're, and they're going up because of cost of attendance and escalating scholarship costs. So if you're Kent State and you don't have a huge fan base pumping millions of dollars into your program every year, but you still have to pay for 85 scholarships plus cost of attendance, then you're holding out. You know, you're going to be that buy team that that, that holds out and gets for, uh, right and top dollar value exactly. And as and as scholarship costs continue to rise, they will continue to hold out more. I mean, if what if five or six years from now one of those games is two point five million? Well, that's pretty much the whole gate from a Virginia Tech home yeah. game. Tech, you, can't, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah, Tech can't afford it's, that. That's at unsus- all. unsustainable. So you sign them up cheap now because you don't know what they would cost. If you were trying to sign them up five or six years from now, that's another thing is that by by locking these values in now, you don't have to worry about that value going up because mm-hmm. you're already contracted in. Yeah, I think we're talking through 2030 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, Tech has these these games scheduled. I mean, Tech and Liberty are going to play six times from now until 2030, and then you get the VMI game and then the ODU series. Right. So. What if, what if they're three or four million dollars by twenty thirty? And they very well could. And and unless Tech starts getting to the point where they can sell out every single game, which I think we all have our doubts whether they can do that, you know, they're, they're going to have to do these kind of cheap, you know, buy games. Yeah. Um, and for those of you that like to point the finger to external factors, uh, the ACC, you know, the Big Twelve also doesn't have a network, but. The ACC is going up against the SEC and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 who all have networks. You know, we've studied media rights and Big Ten schools, mediocre Big Ten schools are now making 40 to 45 million a year off of media rights while tech continues to make around maybe 30 million a year, you know, and that's a that, huge difference well, when you, when 15 you add million it up. bucks yeah. a year. And, yeah. there, and there's only one direction you can point the finger in for that. It's not with Babcock's fault. I think we all know where that finger's getting pointed. Let's go ahead and move on past past kind of the the scheduling stuff. I do want to talk about Adonis Alexander and his situation. Obviously, it was announced Friday, late on Friday, that Adonis would not play against East Carolina. Uh, Bud Foster said on Wednesday uh, that it was unlikely that he would play versus ODU. Justin Fuente confirmed that today on Wednesday at the coaches' teleconference with the ACC. Uh, Guys, just kind of give me your thoughts on the overall suspension and, and how this maybe impacts the team. I don't know. Honestly, I actually don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, something's going on. They're not saying what, and that's fine. You're talking to a college kid, um, you know, and, and whatever's going on with him. I, I think what it's boiling down to here is he is um, uh, he is receiving a two-game suspension, which is not being labeled as such. That's my thought on the matter. Yeah, it, it, um, it seems like that's exactly what this is. And and I think that Virginia Tech is being very careful to, um, you know, whatever's going on here. I don't. It's not a matter of public record, you know. Um, so I think Virginia Tech is is low keying it, and I think that's going to help Adonis in the future. Uh, if he decides to attempt to go to the NFL after this year, he doesn't have a suspension 
per se on his record. So. Other than the first one that he had last year, of course, right. where him and House and Gaines had the off-field incident with with the possession charge, and then both were suspended for the Liberty game. Uh, I mean, Chris, how does this? How do these kind of off-field incidences maybe affect his draft stock? I mean, I think if I was an NFL GM, you know, it's it's that's twice. And Adonis is a good football player, but he's not a dominant football player. Um, there are plenty of other corners that who you have can those draft measurables, who have measurables, or even slightly less measurables, but they're just as good a players as Adonis, who did not get suspended twice in college. So yes, I mean NFL. This is an investment for NFL GMs. Yeah. You know, well, you, that, you don't, you don't it, want to throw money at somebody who's you don't know if he's going to be there or not. Well, that and you have to assume that the, the, whenever Adonis does decide to go to the league, whether that's after this season or next season, because he, he does have two more years of eligibility, including this year, GMs are going to find out exactly what it is. They're going to be able to talk to people, and either they're probably just going to ask Adonis straight up exactly what was going on. And we might not ever find out about it, and that's, that's fine. But GMs are going to know, so they're definitely going to be able to take all of the circumstances into account on the field. I keep waiting for him to play his best football. Yeah. I because I, I, I feel like he's, we've always been kind of, of, of waiting for that. He's never been a bad player. I mean, he, his freshman year when he was playing at safety as a true freshman, we saw some flashes of really, really good play, but then he was obviously making, he's inconsistent. Yeah. Obviously yeah. making freshman mistakes, but then they moved him to corner. And, and I think that at six, three, one eighty, one ninety pounds, I think a lot of people were expecting him to kind of be a dominant force there, and it seems like so far Greg Stroman has been been Tech's best corner still. Greg Stroman was Tech's most consistent corner last year until he got hurt. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. I I, I think that's one hundred percent the truth. I mean, Adonis is a good player, definitely. Uh, Adonis could be an even better player, but if his head is not focused on the right things, there's just there's a very thin margin for error at this level of football, and he'll never achieve his uh, his ceiling. His, his very high ceiling if he if he keeps doing things like this. So so if you're if you're the Virginia Tech coaching staff, you know whatever's going on, I think they're making every every effort they can to carry him along and hope that he has some sort of epiphany and locks in and, and has the kind of year on the field that he can have. The off the field stuff is a matter of record now. It, it's there and it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. But he can improve his draft stock by locking in for the rest of the season, being great on the field, or maybe it'll wind up having to be a good year next year. It's kind of like a Jimmy Williams type situation. Uh, Jimmy, yeah, I, I was just I, thinking about him. Yeah, I don't, I don't ever recall Jimmy be, ever being suspended, but he was not known as the most disciplined of guys throughout his first two years in the program. And, uh, and, and you know, Virginia Tech didn't shed any tears really when D'Angelo Hall declared for the draft, and I really don't think they would have shed any tears if Jimmy Williams had just upped and left the program after 2003. But they didn't want him. They didn't. They didn't want him to because but he ended up having he, a really good 2004. Well, they moved him to corner, and, and will use the right word. They they just uh, uh, they kind of want Alexander to have an epiphany. I think that's what they were kind of hoping for with Jimmy Williams. Just like if he comes back, if he has an epiphany, he's got such an, a high ceiling that he can be a really good player. Well, they got that with Jimmy Williams. That happened with Jimmy Williams. Yeah. But it, it doesn't happen with everybody who have trouble early in their careers. And, in fact, it doesn't happen with, 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 most, with guys. most guys. Yeah, I think we'd all be in agreement that the Adonis Alexander suspension or unofficial suspension w- won't really have an impact on the Old Dominion game. But how important is it that they get him back for Clemson? Yeah, and I, I don't know. You know, I mean, <laughs> Clemson certainly uh, – Loaded at all positions, um, and, and tech tech needs to have all hands on deck for that game. Um, you know that that's 
Captain Obvious reporting for duty. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know, guys. If, if you go through the defensive backfield, is there anybody back there that that can't be competitive against Clemson? You know, um, uh, you got to ask mean, yourself that question. It would probably be all of them outside of Brandon Faison and, and Greg Stroman. I mean, Tyree Rogers and Bryce Watts played their first game versus East Carolina. Although I do, uh, maybe Tyree Rogers got him uh, against Delaware, but. Uh, I mean, they have extremely limited playing experience. Yeah, I think it's important for him to get back on the field against Clemson. I mean, if he was out of that game and Virginia Tech went into that game with just Greg Stroman, with just Brandon Face, and if one of those guys gets hurt, then there's very – Next thing you know, you have Tyree Rogers or Bryce Watts as your your, next corner. Or you're moving Terrell Edmonds back to corner or or something like that. And 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 when you move a guy, it kind of becomes like a domino effect sometimes. So – yeah, you'd prefer to have all your options heading into that Clemson game. Let's go ahead and move on to this week's actual Old Dominion game where Tech will face Old Dominion at 2 p.m. on the ACC Digital Network. Hopefully they'll have the stream working for you guys this weekend like it did against Delaware. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about was, is this the time where we start to see opposing defenses maybe double Cam Phillips a little bit? I mean, he's been absolutely incredible this season. 27 catches, 417 yards, five touchdowns. Leads FBS in receiving yards so far. Um, Josh Jackson noted earlier this week that they haven't really seen teams start to bracket him yet. Will, I mean, are you surprised by that? And do you think teams should start doing it by now? The way I think about that is um, I'm, I don't. I have no clue what other teams are thinking. But I know if I'm Virginia Tech's coaching staff, I'm at least in the corner of my mind of preparing for that. And pray um, that they don't do it. <laughs> well, it's going to depend upon what does what that, that coverage look like? You know, what form does it take? And, and I don't know my terminology, but are you covering him with two guys and zone and the rest? Or what does it look like? Because anytime you uh, you start paying particular attention to one receiver, that means your other guys are going to be a little bit more open. Um, and Justin Fuente is a smart dude, and Cornelson's a smart dude. And I know that when it does happen – they're going to recognize it quickly, and they're going to get on the headset, and they're going to say, all right, well, that opens up such and such and such for this. Look how open Savoy is. We can finally slip Dalton Keene up the middle. We can throw the pass out of the backfield. Um, I'm not going to say I'm not worried about it, you know, because anytime somebody applies, uh, anytime they focus on coverage on your top receiver, a guy who leads the country in yardage, um, if they can take away that threat, that's not a good thing. But I also have a lot of faith in this coaching staff to, to figure out alternatives. Yeah, I mean, you have to expect that, that Cornelson and Fuente have already prepared for this, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm exactly – I agree exactly with what, with what Will said. Do I want that to happen? No. But <laughs> Obviously I'm not. just not worried about it if it does because I, I, I think this staff knows that that's a possibility and, and they're they're probably going in and asking Bud and saying, okay, if you had to bracket another wide receiver, how would you do it and, and things like that. So I think they'll be – prepared for it if and when it happens the thing is i think i'm not sure that it will happen and if it does happen it's, i don't think every team will do it it might i think it'll be very limited because i, I think other teams probably recognize that fuente and cornelson really know what they're doing and, and it's kind of like pick your poison and or you know cam phillips you know exactly what you're getting with cam phillips but if you start double teaming him, you might open up somebody else, and you don't have any. You don't know. Yeah, you don't know what he's you like. Still, don't quite know what Sean Savoy is right now. If you're if you're an opposing coach, well, if you can't, if you double team Cam Phillips, then you might figure out in a hurry that that Sean Savoy, if left in the open field, you know, can do some damage. Yeah, it's it's one of those deals where um, whatever you tried might work for a quarter. 
you know, but before then eventually you're going to have to change it. Yeah. Let's go move on to the next thing that I really have my own in this game is that ODU is starting a 17-year-old true freshman, uh, which, Chris, as, as you wrote in the game preview, and I wholeheartedly agree, not maybe not exactly the great the best situation for a true freshman making his first start. Uh, Chris, in, in your in your experience, have you seen true freshman QBs have success against Bud in the past? I'm, I'm trying to think. I know the Georgia quarterback was a true freshman. Uh, and he's the, Matthew Stafford. Stafford. He's the starter for the Lions. Yeah, now. he's obviously an NFL talent. <laughs> yeah, but, but but well, he didn't have a lot of success in that game. Georgia had about 200 yards of total offense, and right. we lost for the reason you know we lost most of the time. Back, back Can't then, score. You know, we just couldn't <laughs> score. Yeah. Um, other than that, uh, I, you know, none really come to mind. Uh, I, I think that there have probably been a few that, that played better than I thought they would, but. There haven't been any that have gone out there and dominated Virginia Tech, and we're not talking about a, a normal true freshman here. I mean, this is yeah, this is a young true freshman. This is a 17-year-old. I mean, you talk, you joke about most true freshmen and say they're not old enough to buy a beer. This guy's not old enough to buy a cigar to celebrate winning the starting job. <laughs> I mean, that's how young he is. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember if Donovan McNabb was a true freshman or not back in '95, but. He didn't have much success. I think he was a red shirt. I think they yeah. red shirt. Yeah, they, they didn't do well in that game. Um, I, I wrote in our game preview, and I, I think that ODU's offensive game plan is going to be really simple. I think I think they'll drop Stephen Williams back, have him make one read, and then run um, if that read isn't there. Uh, how's Bud Foster? Does Bud Foster agree with that? How's he going to deal with that? How's he going to game plan for it? Um, I did the research, and Williams ran seven times for 20 yards against UNC, but one of those was, 19 was a 14-yard sack. 14, yards a 14 okay. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I was going to say his longest run was 19 yards. Okay, so. so his other five carries went for about 15 yards. So he didn't do a lot of damage to UNC on the ground. Um, he threw some nice passes. He, um, I, I saw the ODU package of highlights, so, of course, he looked good in all of those. <laughs> of course. He's, he's got a good arm. You know, he's, he's a lefty. Uh, um I think in time he'll be a good quarterback, but it probably not this Saturday. Yeah, I think it's tough to break him in in this environment uh, in his first career start, his second overall college game, and they're going to be missing a 1,200-yard rusher, their top wide receiver, their number one tight end, and their starting right tackle. And by the way, since he's a lefty, that starting right tackle that's protects his blind side. So he's, they're just kind of they're, they're sending him into battle w- w- without – and he's very low on ammunition. He's got a I'll knife on a gunfight. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> One of the other things I wanted to, I wanted to talk about was the fact that um, ODU had, is tied for first in FBS with 16 sacks, or tied with Clemson actually. So Tech's going to be facing some really good defensive lines here coming up. But uh, Justin Fuente said uh, this week and on the conference call today on Wednesday that he thinks that ODU's strength is their defensive line. Uh, he was asked about the offensive line play. He said some good and some bad. Are you guys worried at all about maybe the defensive line maybe starting to break a little bit? They've only given up three sacks this year, and and a big part of that is because of Josh Jackson's been getting rid of the ball quickly. I, I'm not worried about it. I think actually, if ODU's got a good defensive line, good because so does Clemson. They need to prepare for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, um, you go back and watch that East Carolina game, and I and I don't recall the Delaware game right off the top of my head, but um, I, I watched to see if Josh Jackson. Uh, took many hits, and no, he didn't against East Carolina. Let's see. I think they ran him three times, one of which was a uh, sack. was a sack. Um, I wanted to write in my article that his jersey was clean, but it wasn't. He had some grass stains on the back at some point late in the game. But 
I mean, that, that was a pitch-and-catch drill, and that does not prepare you for Clemson. So it, it, it's fine for Josh Jackson's evolution in the, in the third game of his career, or second game, you know, one, two, the third game. It's okay for him to basically run a pass skeleton in, in the third game of his career, but now he needs to start learning how to play against a little bit of pressure when he has guys in his face. So I'm actually the opposite of worried about, worried about it. I hope ODU does have a little something for it. Yeah, I agree with that because you know you need to, you would like to see him face progressively better challenges leading up to the Clemson game, and I don't think he did last week because I don't think Definitely the East Carolina defense week. is as good as a Delaware defense. I don't <laughs> think it's even close. But I'll point this out about ODU. You know, they had I think they had seven sacks in their first game against Albany, who's an FCS team, and they had eight sacks in their second game uh, against UMass. UMass is zero and four, and they allow more than more sacks than any other team in the country. They faced North Carolina last week, and all of a sudden, oh, they only had one sack. Carolina rushed for well over 200 yards and averaged 5.2 yards a carry. So I, Those I, numbers may be inflated because the fact they played Albany and, and UMass yes, in week one and week yes, two. Yes, I think they have a solid defensive line, probably one of the better defensive lines in Conference USA. But I, I don't think they can, they're good enough to hold down a high-level offense. So, so speaking of UMass, they were on TV last week, I think, uh, Friday night, I think. Mm-hmm. It may have been Thursday. And Andrew Ford starts for them, so I watched because uh, I was interested. And um, he's doing pretty well, but that did give me a chance to look at UMass's offensive line. They are bad. They're all, they're <laughs> all bad. Andrew Ford did so like he was running a little bit for his life. Let's go he, ahead. Go ahead. No, I was excited. He, he did pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, I think statistically his numbers weren't bad. Let's go move to the over-under section now. I promised last podcast we would start keeping track of these, and we have, and unfortunately we're keeping track of them because it makes me look like an idiot. Uh, so the the over-unders last week were four yards a carry for Tech. Um, I had the under stupidly. Will and Chris had the over on that, so they're one know there. And we set the over-under for attendance at 49, and I actually thought it might get to that number once the crowd got settled in, but it was announced at 43,000 and some change. Will and Chris took the under on that, and I stupidly took the over. So I, I was surprised that, that it was that far under, though. It's a 50,000 seat I thought stadium. it would be close. So I am yeah. now forced to admit that I have no idea what I'm talking about with these. So go ahead and just listen to Will and Chris when we do these. But let's go ahead and move now to the ODU over-unders. The one I wanted to set for uh, first was Stephen Williams, who's the true freshman QB. Uh, one and a half turnovers for him against Virginia Tech on Saturday. He's going to be over. You really ought to set that at two and a half. Because two and a half would make me think, but I think he'll be over. So you think he'll, he he individually will be responsible for two turnovers, whether it's a fumble or an interception? I do. Um, if I if you had, if you wanted to pin me down, I'd say one fumble and two interceptions. See, I'm actually going to go under for really? the for the reasons Will said one earlier. And run. They're going to protect him. They're they're really going to protect him. I don't think they're going to ask him to do very much in this game. I'm actually going to go under as well. All so right. maybe there's a chance I can pick up one here by the game <laughs> with Chris. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I do think he he will have at least one, but I think that two might be pushing a little bit, especially considering the fact that it's not like you know Tech's defense has been absolutely incredible this season. I mean, they were great from quarters two through four against East Carolina, but in quarter one they didn't look very good. They were they struggled a, a, a little bit against West Virginia. Obviously, they, they they played well against Delaware, but let's go and move on to the next one. Over under for Virginia Tech points at forty two and a half. Uh, North Carolina scored, I believe, 53 versus Old Dominion at at ODU. But I set the over-under at 42.5 for this one. Will, go ahead. Um, I'm going with a prediction of 45-10, to 10, so I'm going over. I said 41-13. to 13. I ori- In my original – sorry about that. A lot of noise. <laughs> in my original 
prediction, I wrote 44 to 10, and then I changed it this afternoon. So I've, I've got to go under at this point. But I, I think it could be pretty close. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I didn't, Tech scored a lot more last week than I thought they would score, than I predicted they would score. It doesn't really surprise me that they scored 64, but I didn't predict it. I'll tell you what, I was pretty surprised that they, put, they dropped 60 plus, but. Uh, well, East Carolina's bad. They are. <laughs> they're, they're really Sorry bad. Sorry to keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you definitely feel bad for the Pirates, as good of a fan base as that is. Uh, I'm going to go over on this as well. I think I had 48-17 as my score prediction. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm going to go and go with the over on that just because I think if you can put up 64 against East Carolina, I think you can put up at least 40, 43 or more against ODU. Will, did you go? Did you already say your score prediction for this game? Yes, 45-10. to 10. How do you see the game kind of playing out overall, kind of just you know safely, or do you maybe see a, another situation where – ODU jumps up on Tech early, and then they, they ride the waiver. I do not think ODU will get up on Tech. Um, I'm not sure where I think the 10 points are going to come from. Um, I think, again, you know, the ODU package that I watched, it was all Stephen Williams' highlights. He seems to have a decent arm, so maybe he'll maybe he'll get lucky on one on one deep, and that's where the touchdown will come from. And um, that, that's, that's kind of the way I see it. But, but I don't think – I don't think they're going to have 200 yards of offense in the first quarter, and I don't think you'll see any anxious tweets from me at any point during the first quarter. <laughs> yeah, no uh, more worrying about Greg Stroman getting getting beat by NFL-type catches on the sideline. Oh, right. ODU's uh, a well-coached offensive football team. Bob Bobby Wilder's always had good offenses there. I, I don't think this will be the case of, like, they, they had a couple of deep balls in the first quarter and then look like they're completely lost the rest of the game. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think they'll have a good plan, or at least as good a plan as they possibly can have considering their limitations at quarterback. I think, yeah, I think the 17 points I have them scoring will be kind of balanced throughout the game, but I do think that this game will be kind of in hand basically throughout the game. I don't think that ODU will necessarily threaten uh, at least the, the expected outcome of the game. I agree. I don't see it being one of those games where it's in doubt at any point. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this full episode of the TSL podcast. Uh, we will go ahead and, if you haven't read the game preview on TSL, go ahead and read that now with um, uh, some uh, great breakdown from Chris Coleman and in little additions from myself and Will Stewart. Um, also, I'll have my film room piece on Thursday, so make sure to look for that. And then, as always, look for Chris Coleman's Friday Q&A on Friday afternoon. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and you guys have a great day, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>